you know what's, you know, what are some things that are easy to count? If you were going to count things, what is easy to count? Money. Money is easy to count. Fingers, toes, those things are easy to count, right? You know what's not easy to count? Faithfulness. Faithfulness is not easy to count. You know, if you're counting money, you know, you just reach into your pocket and I don't have any, actually, I never carry money. So if I actually have money in my pocket, it's a strange day. I never carry money. But if you had money, you just took it out, you take it out and you count it. Or you can, you know, open up your banking app and you just, you look at all the numbers, you add them up, you're like, okay, that's how much money I have. Or, you know, you could, you could add up, you know, all of the value of your assets and subtract how much you owe on, on all of it. And then you get this general idea of, of your net worth. Super easy. Not that, not that hard. But faithfulness. Faithfulness is difficult to count because it takes time. If it's a short assignment, you know, maybe you can see faithfulness in a few months. Sometimes faithfulness is only measured over years. But when it concerns our life, faithfulness is only counted at the very end. Here's the thing with faithfulness. You, it's, you can't say, well, I was faithful. I was faithful, and then I stopped. Well, now you're not faithful. Right? Faithfulness has to go to the end. I remember working a job one time, and it's always very, it's, it always has been very important to me to finish well. There's, you know, probably ever since I was 18 or so, I'd always been in some sort of leadership position at whatever job that I had. And so for, for many, many, many years, I worked in restaurants and I was a supervisor. And I would see people give their notice. And then it was like, you just, you never counted on them being there on their last shift. Right? You just didn't. You just scheduled someone else to come because you always knew that they weren't coming. It was just kind of the way that it was. So whenever I left somewhere, I never wanted to be like all those other people that, that you know, that worked for me or with me who just decided, you know, you know what? I'm done. I just can't do it because they weren't faithful to the end. I worked one, one job. I've talked about it a little bit before. I worked uh, as a production manager of a, of, of a mattress manufacturing facility. Um, and I given my two weeks notice and it was my last day. And the thing was, there was a truck that needed to get loaded full of mattresses. And it had to go out that day. Well, the, the buzzer, the alarm went off at the end of the day. And lo and behold, everybody left. Everyone. My entire shipping staff, all my supervisors, they all left. I was the only one in the building with my boss, who was the owner, and the guy who was replacing me. And there's a truck that needed to be filled so that it could go out. No one left to do it. And so I lifted mattresses and box springs, and I loaded the truck by myself while the owner... And the guy who was replacing me stood there and watched me. Faithfulness is only counted at the end. Jesus counts faithfulness, not amounts. He's more concerned with you being faithful to what he's called you to. It's not that amounts aren't important, right? Because you'll hear lots of people say, you know, the numbers, they don't matter. It's, that's not true. Numbers do matter. 
right? When you're, when you're talking church attendance, numbers matter. Why do numbers matter? Because every number is a person, right? Every person has a name and every name has a story. That's why they matter. But Jesus isn't sitting there counting the amounts. He's counting your faithfulness. See, if you're faithful to what you've been called to, then the amounts kind of look after themselves. Being faithful leads to being fruitful. So Jesus is more concerned with us having faithful hands than actually what is in our hands. See, we though, on the other hand, we get, I mean, we, we can be honest. I, I'm, I'll, be, I'll be honest because it's bad if you're standing up here preaching and you're lying. Thank you for that. <laughs> We get caught up in the amounts, in what's in my hand, right? And then we, 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 I compare, well, well, what's in Fred's hands? He got more than what I got, right? Connor got more than, more than, more than what I did. That, that, that church down the street or across the freeway, they got more than what I did. Jesus, I didn't get the same, so I can't do as much. And we start comparing what's in my hand to what's in your hand and what's in the churches down the street in their hand. And like, well, if I only had what they had, then I could do all the things that they, that they can do. But I don't have the same skills. I don't have the same gift set. I don't have the same resources. I don't have the same finances. I don't have the same, the same people. Look, just look, look what's in my hand. I don't have all that much in my hand. See, I don't believe that we see evidence in Scripture that God is concerned with the amount that you were given, but He is much more concerned with what you were able to do with what He gave you. Was I faithful or was I foolish? Was I a good steward or did I squander it? Was I wise or did I waste it? Jesus is looking for faithful hands. You got your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke Luke chapter 16, if you don't have your Bible, it'll, it will be up on the, the screens. I want to look at, you know, there are parts of the Bible that I read and I'm like, you know what, I, I really don't understand that. I don't, I don't get it. And there's, there's a parable that we're going to look at today that I have thought long and hard about and I have studied over and over. It is kind of the strangest parable. And in my opinion, it is probably the hardest parable to understand. And it's the parable of the shrewd manager. The word parable in the Greek literally means to set alongside. That's what parable means. It doesn't mean story. It means to set alongside. So Jesus told parables to teach about something that was happening in the moment. He was teaching about, some, about, about a reality that was taking place in front of him. The parable is told alongside of that reality in order to teach or to give excuse me, insight into something. So the story or the parable is set alongside a reality as a parallel reality. A fictitious one, but a parallel reality. For example, in Luke chapter 15... Jesus tells stories about the lost coin, the lost sheep, and the, uh, the um, oh my gosh, the son, the parable about the son. The prodigal son, thank you. So he tells these three stories. 
But in verse number 1 of chapter 15, he tells us why he's telling those stories. This is what it says in, in 15 and verse, verses 1 and 2. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So then he goes on to tell these three parables to give insight as to why he came. What is it that he is doing? See, he came to find those who were lost without God. That's why he tells the story about the lost coin and the lost sheep. And then he came to bring people back into relationship, back into the family of God, which is why he tells the story of the prodigal son. So now let's look at Luke chapter 16. We'll, we're going to read uh, 14 verses. So it's a, it's a little bit of a chunk, but it's worth it. It says, uh, Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a rich man who had a manager who was handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know. I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man, I owe him 100 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than they are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. For if you are faithful in the little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But you, if you are faithful, if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with, true, with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with that which is your own? For no one can serve two masters. You will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. The Pharisees, who dearly loved their money, heard all of this and they scoffed at him. Okay, so Jesus directs this story at the disciples. He says he tells this story to the disciples. But the religious group is listening in because, truthfully, when you read through the Gospels, they only let you know the people who they, you know, that, that they want to let you know that are there. But there was a large crowd around Jesus at all times. It wasn't just Jesus and the 12, 12 disciples that were together. There was this large crowd. So Jesus is teaching to his disciples, but the religious crowd is listening in to what he's saying. And it's that religious crowd who were lovers of money. And Jesus is telling this parable alongside that reality of those who love money to teach about faithfulness in finances to his disciples. So we've got this manager who is squandering the resources of his boss. And what he's doing gets, gets reported to him and he gets fired, but he first has to open the books and give an account for what he's done. 
So he's afraid he's not going to be able to provide for himself. He's too, he's too, uh, he's not strong enough to dig ditches. He's too proud to sit on the roadside and beg for money. So he, this is what he's going to do. He's going to call in all the people that owe money to his boss. And he's going to change the loan documents. That's really what it's talking about. Here, take your bill. That's the loan document. And change the loan documents so they owe less. Now listen, we're not talking about just like little bits of money. Like the one guy owed 800 gallons of olive oil. Have you ever seen a 50-gallon drum? Like they're huge. A 50-gallon drum stands like this tall, and it's like this big around. He owed the guy 800 of those. So that's something I can wrap my mind around, because I've seen a 50-gallon drum. But like the wheat works out to be 800 cubic feet of wheat. And I'm like... I'm, I'm reading this through, I'm studying this, and I'm like, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. Do you know how much wheat that is? How much, how, th that is, if you take a bathtub, 150 bathtubs, and you fill them full of wheat, that's 800 cubic feet of wheat. Like, they owed a lot of money, resources, to this rich man. And they got great discount. I mean, the guy with the oil, you know, 50% off. So all this work is done so that they would look kindly on the manager that, that adjusted the, the loan documents when he's out of work. Now this is where the story takes an unexpected plot twist. And every time I read that, I immediately think of the State Farm commercials. Well, that was an unexpected plot twist. But you can expect great greats with State Farm, you know. Jake from State Farm. I dressed up as Jake from State Farm a couple weeks ago and came to the office. I didn't mean to. I was just wearing red shirt and khakis. So this is where the story it just takes this, this weird twist because what happens is not what you would think would happen. Because listen, let me ask you, if you were the rich man and your manager was cutting deals with all these people who owed you money, would you walk in and be like, man, good job? No, no. But that's what the, that's what the rich man does. He praises him for his shrewdness. Now this is where we need to stay like on, on point, on task with the story of what Jesus is actually saying. Because this guy should have been arrested for fraud because he was cooking the books. But that's not what happens. He was admired for his shrewdness, for being clever. He was cunning. He was not admired for what he actually did. Okay, so we need to keep that in mind, that he wasn't praised for cooking the books he was praised for his shrewdness, using the finances to create friends for himself so he'd be looked after. So we get off track in teaching. We get off track in, in what Jesus is teaching if we see the rich man as God. Because that's not what's happening in the story. Jesus isn't teaching people what God the Father is like. He's talking and teaching people how to be faithful in their finances. So when we read God as the rich man, we're like, whoa, 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 that seems a little weird. Like, why would Jesus highlight that aspect that we know what he did was wrong, right? Right? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Don't do that at work. You will get in trouble. So we cannot read into parables what wasn't intended to be communicated because Jesus is not teaching us about God here. The key to understanding what Jesus is teaching is actually found in verses 8 and 9. In verse 8, Jesus says, It is true that the children of, li of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. So the story ended, and then Jesus makes this statement. 
The children of the world are those that don't have relationship with Jesus. They haven't experienced the transforming work of Jesus' power in their lives. And the, the children of light are those of us that have. We know Jesus. We've experienced his transformation in our lives. And he's saying that the people that don't know Jesus, that are, that are not transformed, they will use the world around them to advance themselves. They are wise in getting themselves ahead. That's what Jesus is pointing out. He's pointing out the contrast between the people who have been transformed by God and those people who haven't, the children of darkness and the children of light. See, the manager used his boss's money, not good, to create relationships with people. That's good. Relationships with people are good. So that they would take care of him after he got fired. Okay, crafty and cunning. The manager was faced with this moment of reckoning for everything that he'd done, he was getting fired, and he chose to value relationships over money. Like, truthfully, could, could he have not just taken the, the, the discounts for himself? Said, oh, oh okay, okay, you don't, owe, you don't owe 800 gallons of oil. We'll say you owe um, 600, and for that, you can give me 100. So you're really saving 100, right? He could have just lined his pockets that way. But he didn't. He chose people. He chose relationships over money. See, people and relationships, that's what's important. It's not money. Finances are not important. It's not the stuff that we have. It's people. To Jesus, people and relationships are what's of ultimate value. And this is the lesson that we find in verse number 9. Jesus says, use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. See, money is an instrument in the service of a greater cause. And that cause is seeing people come to know Jesus. Like Jesus literally says this. Here's the lesson. Like that's the flashing sign. Like this is what I'm trying to teach you. Be faithful with what you have been given. Be a good steward. And that's defined by the lesson that he's teaching us. Use your resources to benefit others, to make friends. Now listen, what Jesus is not doing, he's not promoting some kind of social justice gospel where we just make sure that everybody has the same amount. That's not what he's saying. Neither is Jesus saying that we should just pad our friend list so that when we, when we you know, open up Facebook or Meta, we see that we've got all these, all these friends. Did you guys catch that? No? Oh. Facebook is renaming itself. It's going to be called Meta. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> Jesus is not teaching us just to pad our friends list. Because, I mean, honestly, who doesn't want to be around the, the, the person that's just throwing money around? They're, just, they, they're paying for everything. They're just throwing, throwing money around. This is why you read of celebrities that have these huge entourages, right? As long as the money flows. But when the money stops flowing... You know, I've read many stories of, of professional athletes who, you know, they, got, they went bankrupt and now they're just all alone. Where's all the people that they were helping to take care of as the money was flowing freely? The word friend here, when it says that the, that the manager, you know, made friends, or Jesus is saying, make friends. The word friend here is the Greek word philos. And it's one 
one of the uses that it's used for is for a bridegroom's friend who on his behalf asked the hand of the bride. So it's a friend of a guy who wants to get married who goes to, to, the, to the lady and he asks, will you take my friend's hand in marriage? That's one of the uses of this, of this word. The, uh, John the Baptist uses it like this in John chapter 3. He says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend, philos, of the bridegroom, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. He says, so this joy of mine has been made full. Who's the bridegroom? It's Jesus. In scripture, Jesus is the bridegroom. Who's the bride? That's us, the church. The church is the bride. But we, as followers of Jesus, we are the bride, but we are also the friends of the bridegroom. We are friends of Jesus, and it is our assignment for each and every follower of Jesus to be his friend and to invite people into relationship with him. That's what Jesus is saying. Use your worldly resources to make friends. Invite people into relationship with Jesus. And see them also become the bride of Christ. So remember, the parables are told alongside reality. And this reality that this story is being told alongside is the Pharisees and the, the religious leaders and teachers of the law who love money. Jesus is teaching not to use money for our own advancement, to get yourself ahead and to, you know, to get all the stuff that you can. He's saying, make friends. Bring people into relationship with me. Meet physical felt needs of the people around you so that the true spiritual need of salvation can then be met. Make friends. Real, true friends. And let me just say this. Don't, don't just make friends with somebody so that you can talk to them about Jesus because that's friendship with an agenda and that's weird. Don't do that. No one likes to, like, have you ever felt like someone just wanted something from you? That feels weird. You feel like, God, I feel dirty and I need to go take a shower after spending time with that person. So that's, that's not what we're saying. Make real friends. Really love people. Really build friendships with them. Those that don't know Jesus. Like we, we talk often about, you know, having community and, and, and as a family here at our church and build friendships here. Yes, do that. But also build friendships with people that don't know Jesus. Do life with them. Invite them over to your house. Have dinner with them. Go over to their house. Have a barbecue. Attend their kids, you know, uh, birthday parties and things like that. Maybe they don't live like you and maybe the alcohol will flow freely and stuff like that. But you're doing life with them. And you get to, to use your worldly resources to build friendships with them. So that you can have an opportunity at one point to talk to them about why your life is different. Why it seems like you've always got joy and hope and happiness. When things begin to crumble in, in, in their life, you're there and say, hey, friend, can I pray for you? And they know that you really do care about them because you've been doing life together. Make friends. Let them see and experience Jesus through you and through your love. How can they say no to him after experiencing his love through you? Guys, this is our assignment. See, when we do this, at the end of our life, when all the possessions are gone, or, I mean, or you've stored up a lot of possessions, you know, at the end of your life, you're not taking them with you. The only thing you're taking with you out of this life is your eternal kingdom impact. 
Have you welcomed people into relationship with Jesus? What have you done on a spiritual, eternal aspect? Right, because all the stuff, if you're just storing up stuff, someone's just going to get it, and they didn't even work for it. You worked really hard to store up all the stuff, and someone else is just going to get it for nothing. And I'm not saying, listen, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying don't have a bank account, don't make savings, don't plan for retirement. Like, No, we need to be wise in those things. But life is not all about the stuff. It's all about the people. Right? Because when you breathe your last here, and you breathe your first in the presence of Jesus, it says all of those friends, they welcome you into an eternal dwelling. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. On the other side, when you breathe your last here and when you breathe your first in heaven, all of those people that you impacted and influenced and introduced to Jesus, they're there welcoming you home. They're saying welcome home. Jesus goes on in the next three verses and he talks specifically about faithfulness and very directly. He says, if you're faithful, then increase will come. So you want more? Just be faithful with what you already have. Don't have this, you know, ever insatiable longing for more. Just be faithful with what you have and Jesus will give you more. But if you're not faithful with what we have now, you know, stewarding our finances in the context of the parable, right, which he just told, then why would we be given more? More finances? Nope. More responsibility? Nope. He's looking for faithful hands that he can trust to bring increase to. He wants to trust you with more than what you have, but he wants to make sure that you're faithful first. So don't fall for the trap of loving money or serving money and using it. And listen, lots of times, you know, I'm not pointing fingers, but lots of times we, we, we serve money and we use Jesus to justify it. Instead, love Jesus and use money to demonstrate it. So you might ask yourself, well, how do I, how do I know if I, if I am a lover of money or if I'm serving money? Five questions, you know. You have a clenched fist, which means that you're not generous. You make decisions based solely on money. You never have enough. Or you live beyond your means. Or you make judgments about other people based on their apparent financial status. You can say yes to those things. Hard truth is that you love money and you're serving money, not Jesus. So the challenge for us is to live with faithful hands and being good stewards of all that, that God's given us. Finances, time, our giftings, our talents. We are to use all those things to advance the kingdom of God, to see souls saved, to see people healed and delivered and set free and empowered to live a free, full life in Jesus' name doesn't matter how much you've been given. It really only matters what you're doing with it. So one of the greatest examples that I've ever personally witnessed of someone being faithful was my dad. Dad passed away in the spring of 2020. My dad wasn't uh, an upfront leader. He didn't have a lot of people following him. He was a, he was a simple guy. He didn't have a, an abundance of financial resources but what he did is that he used everything that God gave him. And he didn't complain about what he didn't have. When I was probably about 10 years old, my dad gave his life to Jesus. And from that time forward, he just began to serve and love people in any way that he possibly could. My dad 
was probably the greatest church greeter in the history of church greeters. Like literally, he lived to be at the front door and welcoming people in. Like that was, that was his moment. He, he, was, he was in his sweet spot. He just had this way of making people feel welcomed and, and like at home. And like, man, this, this is a, you've, got a, you've got a place here. And he put people at ease just simply by talking with them. And he'd, he'd learn little details about their lives. And, and, and then he would remember them. And then when he saw them again, they'd, they'd talk about these things. And he was just so natural at it. To be honest, I, I, wish I, was more, I wish I was more like that. My dad served on church boards and elder boards, and he was really good with his hands, and so he, he built all kinds of stuff for different ministries in the church, and he fixed stuff around the church when it would break, and he did maintenance. And he, he also, the kids' ministry at the church that he was at had a kids' church program on Saturday afternoons, and he drove a school bus throughout our community, and he would pick kids up, and he would bring them to kids' church. And he was, the, he was the bus driver. Saturday after Saturday after Saturday. In the summer times, he would work security at a, at a family Bible camp, making sure all the teenagers didn't run off into the woods and do crazy things. I was one of those crazy teenagers once, and security camp dad caught me. He volunteered as a maintenance man at a home for homeless pregnant women. I remember him... When I was a teenager, I, rem I remember my dad buying old trash bicycles, or he would, he would f always find things. He was so funny. He'd drive down the, down the highway, and he'd see something on the side of the road, and he'd stop, and he'd back up, and he'd go, oh, check, what is that? And a lot of times it was, it was like an old bicycle. But he would take them, and he would fix them up, and he would, he would you know, restore them, and he would give them to kids in the community that didn't have bicycles. He's a faithful and true friend to many, many people. My dad wasn't perfect, I know that. But he used everything that Jesus gave him. He used it all. He used his money, his talents, his time, and he used it all to love people, to make friends, and to show people the love of Jesus. He was a good steward with faithful hands, and he impacted many people with the love of Jesus by just simply being faithful with what he had been given. So to live with faithful hands, it means that you live generously. You make friends with people that don't know Jesus. And you love people using all the resources that you have. Because at the end of your life, will you be counted as having faithful hands? Will you have used your resources your wealth, your time, your giftings, to see people experience the love of Jesus. Because Jesus isn't measuring amounts. He's measuring faithfulness. So have faithful hands. Let me pray. Jesus, help us to be good stewards of everything that you've given us. The people near and far would look at us and think, man, they're so generous. They're so friendly. They're so helpful. I just feel so loved when I'm around them. God, may people feel your presence and your love through our lives, in our words, 
in our actions. Help us to be good friends, better friends, who will be looked at as, man, they are just such a good friend. And not just by people in the church, but people that don't know Jesus. And we would just, we would do life with them and walk with them. May at the end of our lives, may we be counted and looked at as having faithful hands. We are faithful with everything that you've given us. Not so concerned about how much, but just what we did with it. In Jesus' name, amen.